Snowmageddon 24. Um, fall is my favorite season, but I love when it snows in the winter. I hate the winter when it's all brown and dead. It's like, ugh. But when it snows, my heart rejoices because I am blessed visually with the remembrance that the blood of Jesus has washed me white and his purity has covered my darkness and my death and it's gone and I can't see it. It's dead forever. It's just, I just love it. I just get so happy when it snows. Um, turn with me please to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Continuing in 1 Timothy. James had all of chapter 4 last week. We have two verses this week. So I just encourage you, if you ever speak, to be in the good graces of the guy who does the, the schedule. Um, but First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, please. Paul writes this to Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Let's commit the time to the Lord. Lord God, we thank you again um, just to be in your word. It's always wonderful to be in your word and, and to see you and know you and experience you and your son, uh, and then to be together and share it amongst each other. Uh, it really fills our hearts with joy. So we just pray that we would experience that today, uh, that we would think of you and how much you love us and uh, what you have blessed us with uh, in these verses. Uh, May you just be exalted and glorified, and may our hearts be open uh, to what you need us to hear today. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity just to, just to be in this word this morning, and we pray uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Paul's writing to Timothy, so I'm going to kind of clarify. We could study this in the specific context of exactly what it means. It's Paul writing to Timothy as a young man leading a church. We could take that exactly and just study it that way. But I also think there's a lot that we can learn as a church, as a body of believers, in what the message is saying, what he wrote to Timothy. It's not just to young leaders of churches. I think it's for everyone, and I want to look at it that way. But Paul's encouraging Timothy, and we looked at a lot of this in the last chapter as well, and specific exhortations that he gave him of what his role is and what to do. But there's more for us to take in. So what Paul writes to Timothy now is do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So I want to take the instructions out first. So hopefully, we'll have some instruction, we'll have some information, and we'll have some inspiration. John, that's my alliteration for the year. I'm done. I did three I's. Boom. All right. Check it off the list. That's so my, my goals for the year 2024. Boom. I did an alliteration and a message. Okay. So anyway... The information. He gives him, he uses two words now to direct him on how he is to behave when dealing with people in the church. His do not rebuke, but exhort. Now, we see the word rebuke throughout the New Testament frequently. Um, I think it's used 17 times. However, this is the only time this particular word in Greek is used in the New Testament. It's different than the other rebukes. This rebuke would be to chastise. Um, to severely reprimand, to even maybe have some punishment involved. The other rebukes, like we, we had in, in, um, in uh, we're coming up in verse 20, I'm sorry, coming up in verse 20, when he talks about rebuking an elder. Sometimes it has to be done. But that's a different word. Uh, that's to admonish. So we are not to 
And I want to clarify, too, it starts off with do not rebuke an older man, but he's talking about everybody in the church. This is not just do not rebuke an older man and then everybody else is different. You could break this down to do not rebuke an older man, younger men, older women, and younger women. They all have to be treated the same way. So there has to be a way to speak to one another. And he says do it this way with an exhortation. An exhortation would be to entreat someone, to plead with earnestly, to strongly encourage. In fact, this word in Greek is often translated in English several times in the New Testament, even in the Gospels, with the word comfort. You may see the word comfort many times. It's the same root that we get from the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the comforter, the one who comes alongside. So an exhortation to instruct someone when maybe they're doing something wrong and they need to do something differently should come with the idea, right, that we're trying to encourage someone, we're trying to comfort someone even when we're correcting them. It should not just be disciplinary focused. We're looking at their well good. So Paul is telling Timothy that when you talk to these saints, especially as a young man, we're going to focus on that specifically though, as you as a young man, make sure you speak to them this way. When correction is given, its purpose in mind has to be the focal point of how it's delivered. It doesn't mean that older men should never be corrected or younger men, or women, older women, or younger women. He's not saying don't ever correct them. But when you do it, do it so that the way you say it accomplishes the goal of what you want to achieve by the correction. You can't just uh, exhort someone with a disciplinary tone, like a rebuke, because they're going to respond emotionally and lose what you're trying to teach them. Everyone needs to be taught in a way that the message gets through. That's why we call it an exhortation. Otherwise, emotions get in the way. Our emotions can get in the way when we're trying to say something, and then their emotions get in the way when they need to hear it, and it doesn't come through. So it's very important that the proper way of speaking is done to achieve the purpose that needs to be done. So there needs to be correction. Paul's telling him that, but he's telling him the correct way to do it and avoid the wrong way. God bless you. And avoiding the wrong way because you're going to get the wrong response and you're going to get the wrong outcome, especially depending on your audience. Colossians 4, 6 reminds us, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ought to answer each one. The idea behind exhortation is, I love you so much, I care about the mistake you're making because it's not good for you, or it's hurting the church or someone else, so I want to correct you, right? That's, that's the, the, um, the root of it, the cause of it. So if it's done in a way that contradicts that, is there really love behind it? That's the idea that always has to be behind any kind of exhortation. I'm saying something that you need to hear that you may not want to hear, but because I love you so much, I'm going to say it. But if I love you enough to say it, I need to make sure I say it so that it's palatable so that you want to hear it. You want to hear what I'm saying. And this is across the board for all the saints. An exhortation should inspire, not discourage. When an exhortation is done, the person who heard it should feel like, yeah, you know what, that's true. I needed to hear that. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you for the courage it took 
to say something like that, because I know it probably wasn't easy. If it's delivered the right way, that's the way it should be received. Now, if the other person has a heart issue, you can't control that. But if we deliver it the right way, then that's the way it should be received. Back in chapter 4, as part of his, his exhortation to Timothy, in verse 12, Paul wrote, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So when Timothy does these exhortations, he also has to keep in mind that he's setting an example to everybody else in the church on how to do this. When we talk to each other, when we correct each other, when we encourage each other, we're also inspiring and affecting future communication and relationships in the body. So we have to keep that in mind too. Be an example. How I talk to you should encourage you in how you talk to others, right? And the body gets healthier and stronger because of the way we're treating each other. Not harshness upon harshness. Well, I was treated harshly, so I'm going to be harsh. Now, hopefully, if you're ever treated harshly, you say, I don't ever want to treat anybody like that, so I'll be different. That's the way we should be in Christ. But we have emotions and we're human beings. So the, the encouragement here between rebuke and exhortation is to inspire, to encourage, to build up, even when it's a hard correction. Everyone needs to hear it. Excuse me. And now who are the audiences for this? First he talks about the older men and exhort him as a father. Do not rebuke your father. I don't know about you, but I didn't ever try that. I saw what happened to my brother when he did, so um, I was like, lesson learned. I don't need to learn that one. Um, but if we, if we view the older men in the assembly, the mature men, in a fatherly way, they should get a respect. They should be treated with a respect that they deserve based on their age. They should be treated with dignity. It's not that they can never be corrected, but it has to be done with a respectful way based on who they are. And it doesn't matter how long they've been saved. It's their age. We don't ever want to look at the older men like TV does and entertainment does as, as, a, as the buffoon in the house. They deserve respect. Uh, I, I, so as I get older, man, I so appreciate the mature saints who were around when I was young and how they treated me and what I didn't realize was happening at the time and the patience they showed me. Um, in fact, to anybody who's here when I was younger, or if you're not here now, I just want to take this opportunity while they're on this topic to just say, um, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know I was young. Um, hopefully I'm better now. But, um, but there's a way to treat those who deserve their respect. How they're corrected, even if it's by someone younger. Younger people should not be um, afraid to correct or exhort an older saint if they're wrong. We're in the body of Christ. What does God think of the mature? Well, in Proverbs 16.31, it says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. I appreciate these now, by the way. These are very important verses. They, they have much more meaning and value to me. If it is found in the way of righteousness, the silver-haired ha silver head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. There's a maturity and behavior that's expected with that great silver-haired head. The glory of young men is their strength. This is Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, 
and the splendor of old men is their gray head while they still have it. The gray hair is being symbolic of wisdom, a life that accumulates maturity and wisdom. Young men are full of vigor and let's get things done, let's move. Older men, more maturity. Let's stop and think about that for a minute. What's, what's the repercussions of that? Let's not run headstrong. Even in Leviticus 19.32, it says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Again, these are important verses. As my head gets gray, I want to make sure you guys understand this. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Psalm 92 Verses 13 to 14 say, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. The reason why I shared that is older saints have tremendous value. They're not to be put out to pasture, and church is a young man's game. We change as we get older, I promise you. Those of you who know it, I'm experiencing it. A little, little less energy, a little less get up and go. We're smarter but slower, right? And, and it takes a little bit longer to get going. And the young people are ready to go. So I want to encourage the older saints to maintain your work in the assembly. One of the mistakes that I know I made when I was younger was unintentionally, in some ways, pushing aside the older who were already doing something. And I enjoy right now handing off things I used to do to the younger men. I enjoy it. I'm thankful that they're taking over, not because I don't want to do it, but it encourages me that they want to be involved in the church. And we need to do these things in a way that encourages them and inspires them. It's important as older, mature saints that we encourage the younger saints to work and to serve and make sure that they're included and involved and allowed to be in. And there's never any contention, but we should be working together. Older saints have tremendous value. The experience and wisdom they have, the youth need it. They need it. We need to be involved in each other's lives. The Lord says this through the prophet Jeremiah in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Why do I share these? Because sometimes as we get older, we think we're wiser and too smart. And when we're younger, we think we're smarter than we are. Regardless of our age, we all need to come together under the same pretense of humility to receive exhortations. To receive exhortations. The heart of the believer who's growing and even a sign of maturity is to desire exhortation. Not because you're doing something wrong and you want to be like doing wrong, but you want to be corrected. You want to be taught so that you mature and grow in Christ. The heart that refuses that is not a healthy heart. We should be actually seeking out exhortations from each other. We should be open to it. So the older needs to be seeking it, even if it's from the younger, and the younger needs to be seeking it from the older. And he calls the older men, uh, exhort him as a father. So now we're going to kind of look as we go through this, this beautiful picture of the words to describe the saints that Paul uses. Father, brother, mother, sister. We're talking about a family. We're talking about a family. So older men, 
If you're going to be considered a fatherly figure in the assembly, you have a fatherly responsibility. You need to be an example. You need to be teaching. You need to be encouraging. You need to be training the younger. You need to show an interest in them. The big role of a father, show an interest in the youth and be available to them. Being someone in testimony that a younger person would want to be and wants to go to for your wisdom and your biblical knowledge. That's a fatherly role of older men in the church. In Titus, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote to Titus, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The examples, the older saints. Now, this is true of men and women. Sometimes men are specified and women are specified. There are certain character traits that I think we should all say, I want that and I need that and I'm responsible for that. Be sober, reverent, temperate, even tempered. Sound in faith and love in patience with the younger people. And so the question would be, are you willing to be corrected by a younger saint? doesn't have to be in leadership. Just someone who is younger. Are you willing to be corrected? Are you open to it? Then Paul moves on to the younger men. Treat younger men as brothers. I'm going to say not real brothers, because I think we can do better than that. Um, (laughs) We could be better than that. And I, I thought of this, I just wanted to share with you all this morning, I don't know why this came to my mind. I had a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago about this. It came up. So when I was looking at this concept of being brothers, uh, this came up to my mind. I don't know if many people know, you know, where the term Plymouth Brethren came from, where this, this phrase came from. The, the men in, in England in the Plymouth area in the early 1800s, when they read the scriptures and decided to start meeting together without titles and clergy and lady and all those things and just get back to what they read as the New Testament church, no one had a title and they only called each other brother. And so the area nicknamed them, though they're the Plymouth Brethren, because they only called each other brother. Everybody's brother. Hey, Brother James. Hey, Brother Mike. Hey, Brother John. They called each other. So they became nicknamed. They didn't say, hey, we are this now. Um, So the idea then, the idea of brotherhood is equality. It's equality in the body. We are brothers and sisters because we all have the same salvation, we all have the same need for salvation. In humility, we need to treat each other with equality and remember that there is no hierarchy in the body of God. There are roles, but there is equality. Everyone needs to be treated with esteem, esteem. Every person that's a brother or sister in Christ needs to be treated as someone that Christ died for. I exalt God, he died for me, and I spend my time in my personal worship, and I exalt God for all he's done for me. But when I encounter you, I think of you as my brother or my sister in Christ, my thought for you should be, you are the one that Christ died for. Aren't you precious? Aren't you precious? You can say, yes, I am. Aren't you precious? Am I? All right, thank you. All right, good. Okay, just checking. (laughs) <laughs> love you Xavier um, 
Precious is not the word I was always used, but I'll take it. Um, so here's the challenge now when we talk about older and younger working together that I also want to relate to as we kind of looked, looked at these two different age groups. When youth and knowledge are married together before maturity and experience and arrogance can develop. And that's why exhortation needs to be given to young men. It's very common that the older get frustrated with the younger because they forget what it was like to be young. And they have an expectation to be mature like me and calm. <laughs> but, but we forget what it was like to be young and energetic and just want to get things done, get out of the way. But the younger get frustrated with the older because they don't have the experience yet to understand the whys and the why nots and the wisdom that they have. They want to go and get things done. So sometimes there's a conflict in the body. What we want to seek out and what we want to find in the body between older and younger is the mutual respect and dignity for each other as fellow heirs and understanding towards one another. And remembrance. I don't know what someone who's been here for 20 years knows. And I need to retreat them as like a fatherly figure or a motherly figure to teach me what they know. I need to be humble before them. And I did need to remember that the young, God bless them, man, they want to get things done. And I don't want to stand in the way. I want to encourage. I want to encourage and enable and empower. The young need to go to the older for wisdom. The older need to be available to the younger to provide their wisdom. Through this, we can work together and accomplish great things for Christ. Next in the family, Paul tells him to look at older women as mothers. Older women are to be treated in a motherly way, with the respect and dignity that you would treat your mother. Respect and dignity to older women in a motherly way. I don't know what to add to that. I thought long and hard on how to expand on that. I don't know how to say it any cleaner and, and more in-depth than that. The older women are an incredible value to this assembly, what they do here. And they are to behave in a motherly way, to be an example, teaching, encouraging, training. Seems like the same list is for the fatherly figures, right? Showing an interest in the younger and being available being someone in testimony that a younger person would want to be and wants to go to. And this is for everyone. Some who uh, have godly homes and grew up in Christian homes and had that whole experience and have that experience now may not realize how precious this is for those who grew up without it or don't have it now. It is so vitally important to the believers in this assembly that we fulfill these roles. It's needed. Even if you have godly people at home, we still need these roles in our life when we fellowship and we are together. These are not things to be taken lightly and it's somebody else's responsibility. It is every person's responsibility to know where you fit and conduct yourself in that way. Otherwise, Paul would use different words. God would have inspired through the Holy Spirit for Paul to call us something else rather than fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. But he wants us to treat each other like a family. 
Titus 2, verses 3 through 5 then says, The older women likewise, they, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish. There's that encouraging idea of exhortation. The young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Older women, you need to be an example to the younger women in these things. That's how we are a family. Not just your family, but the family here. Everyone needs this training. Again, especially those who do not be raised with godly ways of doing things. Maybe they're learning everything from scratch. They need to learn from us, from you. And if you need to learn these things, man, I encourage you, go to those in the assembly who have done these things. You're a new father, go to somebody who's been a father for a long time. Get some advice. If you're a new mom, a new wife, go to the mature women and get advice. And you older saints, be available. Show an interest. Show an interest that they would want to talk to you. And then lastly, Paul mentions the younger women as sisters with purity. There is a special approach needed for young women. They are different than young men. It's very plain and simple. Women are different than men. And when you talk to a young man and you exhort him, you do it a certain way. When you talk to a young woman and exhort her, you do it a certain way. They are not the same. Everyone needs to be treated specifically to the way they are. And Paul points out, now this is, this is an interesting phrase here. He says, with all purity. Talking to Timothy as a young leader in the church, single guy in a church, probably a lot of single women. You need to treat them a certain way. You need to behave and conduct yourself with purity and treat them with purity and protect their purity and their dignity. Their treatment is to guard their virtue with respect to their fellow position in Christ. And it is always, especially for young men with other young women, but for everyone, to be pure and above reproach. Paul's giving them very explicit instruction. Man, what, what, what crisis the church has today because people have not maintained purity in their relationships. What, what horrors the world has seen that the, the church has been caught because men have not conducted themselves with purity, especially men in leadership. Th this is uh, a black eye on the church and the testimony in the gospel that people conduct themselves this way. We are, we are not impossible for this to happen here there needs to be diligence to hold to this it needs to be specific cherished the purity of young women needs to be cherished here we can take a responsibility together in this and watching out for them so examining paul's teaching this is the clearest and straightest language that in god's perspective the local assembly is a family And I have some notes that I don't know what they mean, so I'm going to turn the page. All right. John loves when I do that. He's, uh, so, uh, so what's Christ's view on the family? Does Christ have the view that his body is a family? Well, look what he says in Mark 12. If you want to turn there, you can't. I'm sorry, Matthew. Progressive lens is Matthew, not Mark, 12, verses 46 to 50. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside, 
seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If that qualifies as Christ's view of, a, of the body, why or how can ours be any different? This is my family. This is my family. The word family, by the way, comes from the old Greek word, which means a bunch of people you're stuck with whether you want them or not. Um, it's true there, it's true. No, it's, we are privileged. I, I joke about the family, but man, I tell you what, it's a privilege to have godly people as brothers and sisters and in motherly, fatherly roles who look for, out for us in that way and care for us in that way and deal with each other in that way. We're not perfect. Brothers and sisters are going to bicker. We're we going to have differences of opinion. But I know that when I have a difference of opinion, hopefully with a brother or sister here, it's going to be treated differently. It's going to be handled differently. We're going to treat each other differently than my physical family. I know for a fact. But what's God's view on the spiritual family? Let's look at Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are his children. We have one Father. And we know this because we are rooted in love. Love from the Father, love from the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for one another. We are rooted in love because love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, but love never fails. That's the family of God. That is the family of God that we belong to. Sunday school teacher asked her class, of the Ten Commandments that we just learned, which is the one you think we need to apply in our, with our siblings? There's a pause there for a minute. Little Susie raised her hand and says, Thou shalt not murder. So, a family is to be bonded and united against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It does not mandate always agreeing, but it does mandate working it out with love under the yoke of being together in Christ. We need to strip away, we need to strip away our worldly family experiences when we deal with each other here. We cannot bring that into the body. We need to focus solely on what the scripture teaches us 
and exhort each other in love when it needs to be. But look at each other as brothers and sisters, fatherly roles, motherly roles, and appreciate the family that God has given us and put us in. If you are here, if you are part of the body of Christ, you don't even have to be here, but mainly focusing on the local assembly, right? But this is true of the body, the whole body. But we're talking about the local assembly as we look at these passages. If you're here because you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you need to be cherished. Cherished as family. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are our Father. What an amazing, breathtaking thought to consider that the God of heaven and earth, the eternal one and the creator of all things, is our Father. The one we can cry out to, the one we can cuddle up to, the one we can seek. The one who desires to give us every heavenly blessing. Who has made us his for eternity at a great cost. So we remember the cost that was paid for us to be yours. As we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we're thankful for each and every person that is yours. Every brother and sister that we have here in the body of Christ. And may we remember that that is who we are to one another. Those to be loved and cherished and watched out for, encouraged and nurtured, but also exhorted when it needs to be done. But when it has to be done, Father, help us to do it in love, with encouragement and an inspiration for those who need correction, that they would grow and desire uh, to be different and changed as, as we need to be. We all need it. Lord, none of us is above this. Paul did not tell Timothy that you don't need to exhort certain people. He covered the whole body. The whole family needs exhortation, and we are true of that. So let us be humble before you, Lord, when we need to be exhorted. But we thank you just for to be a body, but more importantly, to be a family. Lord, I thank you for each and every one here in the family of Brantford Bible Chapel. Um, and we just pray you be glorified as we love one another. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have corporate prayer. All right, we're going to have corporate prayer about 15 minutes. And then we'll pray. Joe will close after about 15 minutes. Sound good? Unless you already picked somebody. <laughs>